Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. And uh, we are in week two of a series. We're calling this series simply James. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible, your app, your journal. We're going to dive right in. And in fact, we're encouraging people in this season, in this time, even to bring your, your physical Bible. How many Bibles are in the room? Just hold, hold it up. Hold it up. There it is. I was talking to my friend Pat Ford. You want to see a Bible that's used? You see that sister, my friend, right there after church is over. In fact, just touch the Bible. You'll get blessed. Just, okay. I asked her, can I have that when you go to heaven? She said, no. But anyhow, uh, so we are, we are in this series right now. And what we do every now and again, uh, especially in the summer months, we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll just work our way through that book in the Bible And uh, we will dig some truths out of that and learn together. And really, this is a time, not only that we're learning God's word, but we're learning to hear God's voice in God's word. And so this is kind of the thing we're thinking about. You know, a lot of us right now, we're in seasons of our lives where, you know, we are trying to figure out where we get our truth from, right? Who do we listen to? Who do we rely on? And so we're doing this right now in this series, we're thinking we can learn a lot from the scripture. So we are in James and we are uh, using the book of James to help us in this endeavor. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the book of James uh, is, uh, I think it's book or letter number 20 of 27 in the New Testament. There are 39 uh, books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and James is number 20 of 27. We know that James, we believe historically, was the brother of Jesus. Sometimes we say he was the half-brother of Jesus because Jesus was begotten of the Holy Spirit, and we know that Mary and Joseph had other children, one of whom we believe was James. So whenever I think about that, I think, imagine discovering one day that your sibling is God in human flesh. Now think about that, right? I'm the middle of three brothers, and when we were young, uh, we bossed each other around like we were God. But can you imagine, you know, being in a conversation one time with your sibling and saying, well, who do you think you are, God? Well, actually right? Or maybe there's that moment then, you know, we know that uh, the, the gospel of John tells us that, J, uh, that James originally didn't believe this and that he thought his brother was nuts. And then historians tell us that it was the resurrection of Jesus that changed James' view, to which we want to go, duh, <laughs> right? Duh. And so if you're, if, I want us to all think about this because we're going we're gonna to do some learning today. James is what is referred to as a general epistle. And a general epistle means it wasn't written to a particular group of people or to a particular audience. It was general in that it went to all of the church. And so in the, in the beginning days, um, it was thought of that a lot of these letters, epistle means letter, 
that a lot of these letters were written and they were curried out. They were, they were sent out to the various locations where Christians were gathering and there would be a moment where the letter was read and then those who were becoming the leaders in the early churches would, after the reading of the letter, would teach the letter and teach about these things. And so we think about James as being one of the most practical books in the entire New Testament. Oftentimes, when I'm talking with people who are newer in their faith, some of you guys will ask me, where do, where do I start when I, when I read the Bible? So like, I have this Bible, here it is. I go, do I just start on page one? We say, don't start on page one. What I encourage people to do often, I say, go to the New Testament and go to the to the gospel of John, which is the fourth gospel, right? How many are there? Four, I just told you. And, and, and we read them together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I say, go to John, read John's gospel, then go back 20 books and get to the book of James and read, read the epistle to James. So read John and James and John and James. You'll get an idea of who Jesus is. And then you'll, uh, beyond getting an idea of who Jesus is, James teaches you how to live your Christian faith. So you learn out who Jesus is, you learn how to apply the Christian faith. You learn who Jesus is, you learn how to apply the Christian faith. And this is kind of the exercise that we're talking about. And so right now we're in this book of James. Now, if you were with us last week, we had youth takeover. How about that last weekend? Come on. And uh, so the youth took over the service. Uh, TJ Striano uh, did, I thought, a great job teaching Uh, on uh, James chapter one. So what we're doing is we're going through a chapter at a time. We're pulling out some good stuff out of the chapter. We're learning together. And this is what he taught us last week out of James chapter one, verse 22. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so if you were with us last week, I thought TJ did just a phenomenal job helping us understand sort of the idea behind application. And he said it in a very, I think, provocative way. He said it like this. He said, first of all, he said, it's easy to get fired up about stuff. We just get kind of fired up. How many of you uh, would self-identify as people? You get sort of fired up about different things every now and again. My wife says, I am a project looking for a place to happen. Now, that, that, I don't, that doesn't mean you think I'm a project, does it? Okay. So I'm a project waiting for a place to happen. Uh, my, my, I have a son. Uh, one of my sons-in-law, I think, is an athletic experience waiting for a place to play. He is just, he loves athletics, so he's in it. But um, it's interesting uh, what TJ said. We get fired up, but we don't often follow up. And so I think if there was ever a place this is really true, it's true in our Christian faith. We have a little inside joke in my house. So uh, every year uh, we go out to see Beth's side of the family uh, in Texas. We're going to do that in a few weeks. And when we go out to Texas, uh, this time when we go, uh, we're going to introduce him to Mac for the first time. So we're super pumped about this. But um, when we go out to Texas, we go out, we go out there and, and on the way, we have all of this great Tex-Mex food when we get there. And we just eat, I just eat like crazy. I'm out there. And, and the girls started to notice that after about a week or so, like I'm just eating like a crazy man out there and enjoying all this great food. I start talking to them about when I get home, I'm going to get in shape. <laughs> and, and so years ago, in fact, this is in my mind. This is what I look like. 
you don't have to laugh like it's that far off the mark. It's not that far off the mark. But in my mind, um, so I started doing this thing years ago, and it was called Body for Life. How many of you all ever heard about Body for Life? Nobody's ever heard of Body for Life. So I used to really do it. And the girls start, started to notice that after about a week, I'm eating all this food, I'd start talking about Body for Life. And even long after I'd given it up, even now when we go to Texas, they'll go, hey, Dad, when you get home, are you going to do Body for Life? <laughs> I live in a judgmental family. But um, anyhow, I don't do Body for Life anymore. I do Brownies for Life. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> anyhow. So this is the idea. But here's what I want to tell you. Never is it more true, I think, I think this, that when it comes to our faith and our Christian spiritual formation, we get fired up, but we don't follow up. And and this is really the essence, uh, I think, of the book of James. The book of James is written from this angle, from this perspective, if you will, that it's, it's, it's great to get fired up. A lot of us, You know, we start dating in the Christian experience, but then real life happens. There's a tragedy. There's a diagnosis. There's a struggle. There's a compulsion. There's an issue. There's there's something that, that requires deep forgiveness. And in that moment, we discover that our faith is not deep enough and broad enough. And so this is an important conversation. And and I want to tell you this morning that we want to to kind of push the conversation a little bit forward because I I really think this, when, when we leave here in just a few moments from this experience, right, this wonderful religious experience that we're all having, real life is waiting on the other side of the door. And we got to be thinking about this stuff. And, and, and you know, when I, when I think about this at a deeper level, this is some of the things that um, challenge me sometimes. As beautiful as this is, and, and, and please hear me, don't, don't misunderstand me. This is so beautiful that we do this every seven days. We live in a country, right, that we can, we can do this, right? Still yet, we can do this, right? You know? Uh, I have friends who live in countries, it's not as easy to do this. But I will tell you, there's something inherently dangerous about this as well. Because if we're not careful, we will be lulled into believing this is all there is. And we have to be careful about that. So this is a moment for us, really, when we're talking about um, the need not to just be fired up, but the need, to, the need to follow up. And so this morning, what I want to do, uh, and what we're going to do on all of our campuses, is we're going to move the conversation over a little bit into chapter two, and we're going to follow with the, nat- the next natural uh, idea that James lifts up. And in James chapter 2 of this incredible letter, uh, he, he tees up a conversation that I want us to have. And so, you know, we stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to encourage you to stand. 
And uh, we're going to pick up in James chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse 14 down to verse 26. Listen to the concepts and to the argument that he's going to propose. And in just a few moments after we read this, I'm going to dub all of us in this, uh, in this space and in this moment, we're all going to be religious historians. I dub you a religious historian. And we're going to learn together. So here we are, James 2 verse 14. What good is it? My brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? I mean, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, well, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, and it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you what my, uh, my faith by my deeds. You believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. So you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And so in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. You know, Lord... Uh, we would ask in this space that you would um, challenge us. And Lord, like a friend of mine said many, many years ago, would you um, use this moment and this time in our lives to uh, afflict us if we're comforted and comfort us if we're afflicted. For we pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. So let me invite you into something as a religious historian for a moment. This this moment, if you will, this moment uh, uh, highlights one of the greatest controversies in the early part of church history. And uh, it it really highlights uh, a a moment, really, if you go far enough back in history, here's what you discover when, when the canon when the original scriptures were being put together, largely by the time we got to the 5th century, put together, there was the Council of Rome that, that helped uh, align all of these different things, and I think it was in 380 or whatever that was, AD. Um, there was this huge controversy about the epistle or the letter of James. And there was this um, controversy really centered around this idea that what James was teaching 
was not uh, uh, the pure gospel. And we know that gospel means good news. That's what it trans. That's what literally the translation is. And there was uh, this idea that, of course. Uh, uh, salvation is something that is given to us by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And James' teaching seems to maybe suggest something different than that. So there was this huge controversy. And so um, there are some interesting things that we think about how the canon, when we think of uh, canon, we might think of it as a collection of books. And so like I've already said, by the, by the time we got to the fifth century, it was largely the canon of scripture. Holy scripture was largely in place, right? 39 books of the Old Testament. Uh, mostly, most of that already settled by the time Jesus walked on the face of the earth. But you have to get to the fifth century and then you discover, you know, really that, that the New Testament was uh, brought together, and all of it came together under three ideas. If you really want to know three big ideas, I'll give them to you real quick. The first idea uh, is this idea of what has to do with history. And so help me out, Melina, right here. It has to do with the divine quality. So, so when they're considering, when, when those who are considering what, how Holy Scripture would come together, they would look at, do, do the books, is there, is there kind of a sense that they're all saying sort of a similar thing about God? Do they reveal and represent God in a consistent way? Secondly, there was this idea of a reception of the church. Is this largely what the church has always considered or always taught? And then lastly, for those of you that are interested, not only divine qualities and reception of the church, especially when you get to the New Testament, was there a connection in some way to an apostle? So there's all this idea that kind of flows into this. And so this is how, in a large kind of broad speaking way, this is how our scriptures came came together. But then the book of James was always something that sort of rattled a little bit on the outside. Now, just go with me for a minute. I'm going to get us to a real relevant point for this morning, but we're going to be historians just for a moment. So James is sort of sitting over there on the outside, and this whole argument has always been simmering. And then you go forward, you get to the, uh, I think it's the 16th century, and uh, it flamed up again in large measure by a guy that some of you may have heard of. I'll show you his picture. Anybody know who that is? It's Martin Luther. And when Martin Luther was, um, he's the guy that uh, really initiated the great reformation, right? He, he took 95 concepts, these ideas of reading and studying the scripture, having a personal pietistic walk with God. And, and he nailed them to the Wittenberg door and, and caused this commotion that became sort of like the great reformation. And, and when you think about Martin Luther, Martin Luther had three broad ideas that he taught under all of these 95 theses. I will give them to you. The first one is sola fide. And so you can impress all your friends when you go to Cracker Barrel when we're done. Here's what sola fide means. It's this idea that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus, right? Sola fide. Sola gratia is another concept that he taught. And sola gratia was this idea that that running behind salvation by faith, the reason God bestowed or made it possible for us to know him and to be saved but from our sins is it's all based on the love of God 
the love of God revealed for us in Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. And then because the, the church, now listen very carefully, because the church had a tendency at this time, as it does in every season, to become corrupt, to be led by men with power. There was this third idea, which was sola scriptura, which was this. The scriptures are in a place by themselves. Here's what he meant. The traditions of men and the interpretations of men will always be secondary to the written word of God. Can I get an amen on that? Because there was a time, he lived in a time when, when in essence you could, uh, uh, it was called indulgences where you could like um, pay off a priest for your salvation. And so he, he came up with these ideas. He created the great reformation, but then he gets to the book of James and he goes, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't have the same quality maybe about it, the same sort of idea as, as, as Paul's teaching. And, and he gets to James chapter 2 and verse 14 that we just read. And I want you to notice what it says. Here's James out there by himself. What good is it, brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Here was, here's the controversy right here. Can such faith save them? And so, so Martin Luther flames up this whole argument again. And here we're off to the races once again. And so basically the idea around this is it, it really has to do with the essence of faith. What does faith mean? Paul said it very differently. Look at, look at how Paul said it. And I promise I'm driving to a point. So here's the point. Romans 3.28, Paul says this. Hey, so we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Does that sound like James? I'd have to say. No, doesn't. Paul was writing later on, and he, and he wrote this in Ephesians, probably the, the most telling verse. He says, here it is. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by what? Works, so that no one boasts about it. And so here's Martin Luther going, now that's the gospel but James is over here, it appears like he's saying something different. And so there's all this controversy. And, and, and here's really what I want you to know. It's actually not a controversy. And we now know on this side of religious history, right, James is in the Bible. So we settled the issue. Somehow, somehow we got past it. And when I think about this, here's what I want you to understand. When Paul was uh, talking about being justified, he was on this side refuting a kind of, now follow me just for a minute, a kind of Jewish religious legalism. They said, you got to follow every part of the Jewish law, and that's how you're saved. And, 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 and Paul said, no, 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 that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. And so there was a big argument about that. But when James is talking about being justified, he's saying, 
He's saying it's not, it's not that, that we have works of the law. He was, he was refuting a kind of faith where we sort of said things and we made just saying the right thing so important, we don't ever have to practice anything. And if you want to really impress your friends, the word for that is called antinomianism. I can just say it, and it happens. It's, it's like a, I can just pray the magical prayer, and that's all good to go. And so here's the tension. Is it works? Is it faith? And, and here's the essence of what it is. We're saved by faith through the grace of what Jesus has done. But it's our works that certify and authenticate that we are saved. And the essence, really, that I think of it uh, is, is this way. Actions speak louder than words. Or because we're in Loxahatchee, I think of it this way. The proof is in the pudding. <laughs> You're not made right by the good stuff you do. But the good stuff you do shows to you and to those around you that you have been made right. Do you hear the subtle difference? It's theologies, y'all, are built on top of this. This is really important. And it really drives a question I think every one of us has to answer. And I don't even think it's a one-time question. I think you got to answer it often. And it's this idea that the works don't really redeem us. They prove that we have been redeemed. This is really the essence. What, what is it right now that certifies and authenticates your faith? Um, while I was on my staycation, uh, sometimes I'll go to my, my, my music app and I'll just let it, uh, I'll just hit shuffle. Anybody do that? And you just go on a journey, go on a musical journey. And, and, and uh, sometimes those musical journeys for me um, end up in what I call an earworm. Do you know what an earworm is? You get a song in your head, you just can't get it out of your head. Like, and so the other day while we were on our staycation, I was, I was driving around town and I just put it on shuffle and all these great songs are coming on. You know, if I leave here tomorrow. Come on. I can't live if living is without. That one's actually not on my list, but. Okay. Um, I'm a little bit of chicken fried. Okay, right, right. But then there's this song that came on from Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it's called The Change. And I want to read just a few line of it, uh, lines of it to you. Well, I got myself a t shirt that says what I believe. I got letters on my bracelet to serve as my ID. I got the necklace and the keychain and almost everything a good Christian needs. Yeah. 
I got the little Bible magnets on my refrigerator door and a welcome mat to bless you as you walk across my floor. I got the Jesus bumper sticker and the outline of a fish stuck on my car. And even though this stuff is well and good, I cannot help but ask myself, now listen to this, what about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing I'm undergoing a change? What is going on in your life right now that certifies and authenticates that you are a follower of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? I had a youth pastor when I was growing up. He said it this way. Um, If you got arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you of the crime? It's challenging. I'm reading a book right now. It's not a Christian book. It's very very provocative for me. It's, It's called The Comfort Crisis. And uh, this guy is pointing out how uh, we all live, we're, we're all dying in some way because we can all just do absolutely everything with a button. <laughs> Let's close in prayer. I think my work here is finished. (laughs) Sometimes I meet Christians and um, can I be, can I be clear? It feels like um, the goal of the Christian life is easy. Fire insurance. Do whatever the heck I want to do. When I die, go to heaven because we're tight. And here's a question. Is that the gospel? Here's what James would say. Nope. Uh, I hear Christians who say, man, the culture is like hell in a handbasket. Um, the national average attendance of church worship right now is slightly less than one time a month. And I know it's not all about church. Already, already, I've already poked on the other side. Not about church. Uh, I mean, people that say sometimes, and I'm, I just want to be honest, and again, I, I even love our online community. Yo, online community, love you. But I have people tell me, man, I, I know I need to get back to church, but I love watching you in my underwear while I eat a donut. You can't unsee that, can you? <laughs> I mean, I want to be honest. I mean, I, th- I think online church is legitimate. Hear me say that. I work with Jessica in our discipleship area. We're trying to figure out how to, you know, how, how to integrate the online experience more into Christian spiritual formation. 
Most churches live by the 80-20 rule. You know what that is? Come on, right? Uh, it, it means this. It means that 80% of the work that happens in a church is done by 20% of the people who attend that church. Come on, Dale. What about the change? What about the difference? What about the grace? What about forgiveness? What about a life that's showing? I'm undergoing a change. What is happening right now in your life that it takes Jesus to explain? What are some things right now you don't do because you follow Jesus? I just don't participate in that. What are some things you're doing in your life right now because you follow Jesus. Jesus was asked one time, and I'll close with this, what's the greatest commandment? What is it, God? I mean, doesn't that sound a little bit like, can you give me the, can you give me the crib notes? Can you just dumb it all down? And, and here's what I love about my Lord. He said, all right, I'll dumb it down. And this is what he said. He said in Matthew chapter 22, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You can't do that unless you do that. You can't, you you get, you with me? You can't do it Unless you do it. So you got to do it. Help us, God. Help us to, to argue about the right things. It's not faith and works. It's not how we're made right. We're made right because of your sacrifice on a cross for broken and sinful humanity. But after we're made right, it's what we do for your kingdom that documents and certifies we have been redeemed. Amen.